I've been feeling vibes all day. I've been feeling vibes all night. Let me breathe and meditate. Elevators, that all right? It's energy. Vibes, 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 energy. Vibes, 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 energy. Vibes, 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 energy. I try to reach everybody, but I can't reach everybody. I may not be called to this person or called to that person, but I still try. I'm not sorry. And what's going on? It's your girl, T Hardaway. And it's Michael Basil. Yeah, and we are the Did It For The Hood podcast. Indeed. Coming one, coming back one more time. We love you. We miss you. And today, as per usual, we have a phenomenal guest. Um, She's an author. She's a coach. She's a speaker. She's an all-around renaissance woman. I can't even name all the things that she's done. And she's going to come here and discuss um, her new upcoming book. And she's going to tell us about her journey. Um, y'all give it up for Annalisa Wolf. Aw, thanks to both of you. Excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So, Annalisa, thank you for joining us today. Um, tell us your story. So, Tyranny, Michael, I have two stories. I'm going to give you the first one, and then I'll go a little deeper with the second one. Gotcha. So I used to tell the story, which is like the American dream story. I'm a proud Filipino American. My parents immigrated with pretty much nothing um, to the United States. My dad got his ticket because he was able to join the U.S. Navy. And then my mom was a nurse. And so it was this big draw of talent from places like the Philippines. So they both came. My I was born. My brother and I were born in San Diego. And we went to pretty terrible schools. Uh, but luckily my mom found a busing program, got us into really good school in a white neighborhood. And there became right. This American dream where my brother went, went to UCLA, he went to polytechnic and then now he's an aerospace engineer. I went to Stanford, Northwestern, like Yale, like a lot of different brand names, um, and joined the air force following my dad's footsteps in the military, and have this great career in education where I started and have been leading. I was ultimately CEO of a network of charter schools for low-income kids. So it's this like kind of nice story, right? You're like, oh, look at me. I'm the American dream. Come alive. We can all do it. You know, just you got to just work hard and you can make all your dreams come true. So I like to tell that story because that's not quite the story. And it really leads into the work that I do now which is there's our own hard work for sure. And there's our own ability to use our talents to make a difference. And those are all true. But there's also the environment we grow up in. As much as I know my parents did the very best that they could for me, there are things that I am unlearning from them. And there are things that as much as being part of these amazing organizations that I I'm so proud to graduate from and so proud to have led and be part of. There's also things that I don't think were healthy for me. And so knowing that I'm one of the few, there are not that many women of color at top seats and people of color at these top seats. If we want to create change, it means looking at what has worked for us and looking at what has not worked for us and actually making a deliberate conscious choice to say, you know, let's leave that because this assimilation, this working with, you know, white supremacist ways of being, I don't think that's worked, at least for me. And we have to say it out loud and not to say, hey, thank you so much, America, and all this, these opportunities. I'm very, very grateful. I know I wouldn't be here without them. And at the same time, what is the possibility of creating equity for all so that we can be seen, heard, be authentic selves, and know that it is a safe space. And it's such a powerful word, right? Safe, safe space to be our authentic selves, give our gifts and make the world better. So that's why I'm where I am. That's the book that I, I, I'm trying to bring the story to life of what does it take to rise to top seats, especially as women of color, we're not alone in the things that we face and how do we really make a difference? That's amazing. You know what I'm saying? Jesus, I feel like I'm doing nothing with my time. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> wow, that's dope. That's super dope. Oh man. Um so we're gonna dig we're gonna dig into your book. So we got that on the agenda, but I want to dig a little more, bit more into your path. 
So along your path, have things always gone as planned? Because, I mean, you're, you're very accomplished, but, I mean, what has been some of the story of it? So young Annalisa, Filipino going parties, I wanted to be good. I wanted to be a good Asian. And that meant that when I told people what I wanted to do, it was doctor. My mom was a nurse. And so being a doctor sounded good. And I thought that's what I wanted. I honestly kept going. I was like, I want to be a doctor. And it would say, Ooh, what a good girl. <laughs> I'm like, I want to be good. That sounds good. Uh, and I went on, luckily I got into Stanford and I'm always talking with people and learning about journeys like you. I know that you value stories. And thankfully I ran into people who I realized I went to a Filipino party I, a neighbor had just graduated and was going, trying to get into med school. And I said, are you excited what it's like to be a doctor? You know, you're heading in that direction. And she looked at me and she said, I want to tell you a secret. And I was like, okay. <laughs> She's like, I really wish that I hadn't gone down this route. I really hate it. Mm. I don't really want to, these chemistry and biology classes, like I'm barely kind of making it through. I'm, I don't know if I'm going to get into med school. Like it's, there's so much pressure around me. I really wished I'd done something that I'm really passionate about. I don't know what that is, but I'm set in this direction. And I looked at her and she was like about to cry at this Filipino party. And I was like, is that what I want for myself? What do I actually want? And so that got me to just, again, talking to more people and realizing I love organizing. It sounds so nerdy. And when I was in high school, someone, my, my counselor told me, well, if you're an organizer, then obviously you should be a secretary. And I was like, Pretty sure that's not what I should be, but I'm not going to tell you that white lady, you know, um, who barely knows me. Really? And I went on to be an organizer for like bigger community stuff. Like, how can you make things come alive? How can you make ideas come alive of the community? And so that's what I did. I started a nonprofit when I was in the Air Force for, I was in Guam, I was stationed in Guam. And I remember meeting women there and girls who were committing suicide. And I thought to myself, that's terrible, right? But also I could understand that, and people have different, of course, experiences. There's a high suicide rate among API girls. There's a lot of pressure to obey and there's a pressure excuse to- me for, Excuse me for the audience, what's API? Asian American Pacific Islander. And so if you're in Guam, right, you count as Pacific. And this is an opportunity then for- women, girls who didn't have a voice, weren't a boy, not as valued and having thoughts that I'm not enough. There's no way off this Island. The better opportunity for me is to commit suicide or get pregnant. I mean, it was just like really, really tough. And so I'm just sharing that when we see this happen, how can we step into that? What can we do to bring the community together to bring our talents and solve together, address this issue? And so it was really fun. I mean, this is just an example of how do you step into organizing people, ideas, and making it come alive that I helped start this organization, which still exists today called Island Girl Power. It's all about bringing the community together. For example, chefs would teach classes. We had the uh, government donate um, a community building. We had people, you know, the university was wanting internships for their students, so they would teach classes. There were, you know, convenings where you was, there was like a radio talk radio show that helped host a talk show talking about issues in the community. So that's what I love is how can we address something that we see, maybe even relate to, for me, I've related a lot to these young girls, make that come alive. And even if I only had a couple of years in Guam, how can I have an impact? And so I think that's the story of my career is who knows at the next turn what I will do, but where do we see a need and what can I do to rally others to make this, make this better for everybody? Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking that approach to life is just so necessary more than anything. Just Cause it's just, especially when you just see people struggling in their own capacity and the struggle that you can relate to. Like I definitely, yeah, that's a beautiful thing. It's a very beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. So um, you were watching, I mean, you were paying attention and helping people through their obstacles. So what kind of obstacles were you overcoming at the time? That is a really powerful question. For me, 
my own internalized, let's call it internalized racism, racism. I didn't even know what that word meant until I started educating myself about what this system has had an impact on me, on us. And as part of internalized racism, it's this feeling that I'm, for me, I'm going to define it for Annalisa, that I'm not enough, that I need to assimilate into something better, that I have to wear a mask. And also it's not about me. It's never about me. What I want, my own challenges, it's about serving others, serving others behind the scenes, being quiet, being obedient. And when you ask that question of what challenges were you facing, I believe it's the things that I was trying to serve, right? Like if you think about Island Girl mm-hmm. Power, I saw myself in those girls. They didn't have a voice. They really, I considered suicide back when I was high school. I didn't do anything about it. Thank goodness I was telling someone, thank goodness Google wasn't around because I would have looked that up and find out about a way to do it. Uh, it seemed like a way to really make a statement since I didn't have a voice. And so throughout my career, I think it's been about what challenges did I face? Not having a voice, not feeling like I could I could create my own destiny and quietly making my way. And I would say even Stanford, I remember getting the big packet from in the mail and when we had mail <laughs> instead of an email. Yeah, back in the day. <laughs> And I remember it said like, congratulations, right? On the packet, yeah. I mean, it's fat packet. It says congratulations. And I remember looking at it being like, oh my gosh, what if I didn't get in? I mean, this is what I was thinking, right? Like, it, wow. I don't know what will happen. And I opened it and it was like, congratulations, you got in. I was like, yes, this is like a dream school. I don't know anyone. This is, high school <laughs> was never a feeder to the school. I didn't, the only reason I applied was a friend was wearing a Stanford sweatshirt and he's like, this is my dream school. And I was like, what, what is that? Like, maybe it can be mine too. And so I applied there no one had gotten in. And so I, when I did, I remember being in the living room with my parents and I was like, I got in. Mm-hmm. And they said to me, well, how much does it cost? And I was like, well, on page seven, it has the tuition. I back then, I think it was like 22,000. Can you imagine? So this is like the nineties. That was so much money for our family, but it was so much money just in general. In the and 90s? Ni- in, in the, yeah, in the, tw- in the 90s. And they said, uh, that's nice. It's uh, a lot of money. How about community college? And I remember saying to them, no, like, I'm going to figure yeah. this out. And yeah. thankfully, my dad had given me advice to apply to get an ROTC scholarship. It's basically a scholarship that the military as you commit your life to serving, but they will pay for college. And I did it. And so I said to my parents, I'm going to get the scholarship and you don't have to worry. So I didn't have to have this guilt. I also applied for a ton of other scholarships because back then we weren't poor enough, right? We were not poor enough to get all of the Pell Grants or these like sort of low income scholarships. We were okay in terms of you know, my, on the cusp, my mom was a nurse. And so we couldn't qualify for that, but we didn't really have that many savings. So it was really, I think, empowering for me to be able to know I paid for it, right? Like with my life, I served in the military. It ended up being one of the best decisions I made, but yeah, it was a challenge. So going back to your need to your question of challenge, slowly, I started sticking up for myself. Like I'm going to put my foot down. I'm going to go to this university. I'm going to find a way. And they did a lot for me. I I never want to disrespect my family because I know they committed so many sacrifices for my brother and me. And at the same time, I think to myself as a parent, I wonder what I would have done. Not knowing their context, I wonder what I've done. Oh, my God. So how was the ROTC experience? I mean, terrible, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) I I had a hard time with I had a hard time with authority. I don't know what you're like, but I don't yeah. like it. I grew up with a dad who told me literally my brother and me, yes, sir. No, sir. That was our response. If we're like, yes, he's like, no, that's not the right answer. I was like, uh, what is, and he's like, it's yes, sir. And so we would stand there. He's like, stand at attention. I mean, can you imagine? We're like five. Mm-hmm. 
If you get an attention, it's a yes, sir. And it's a no, sir. And it should be always yes, sir. <laughs> and I was like, yes, sir. And we would say, they're like, oh my God, I'm scared of you. <laughs> uh, and so when you asked me what it was like, it was terrible because I was like yelling, getting yelled at. And, right. and, and to make it, I guess, more interesting, Stanford has our campus at San Jose State. So great. San Jose State is a great school. So I'm not at all talking about the quality of the school. However, when you have Stanford kids who have a full ride and everyone knows that, and they're going to San Jose State where people actually really are serious about the military. And this is their life. Like their friends are in the military program. They're studying all the military things. It's kind of annoying, right? To have these kids who will look like they rolled in with their crumpled uniform, unshiny shoes and long hair, and they're not taking it seriously. So I was part of that crew. I mean, I didn't have the shiniest shoes or some ironed uniform. And so I'd walk in, it was like, could I care Because my was my maiden name. You look basically terrible. Like, like, who are you? Who do you think you are? I mean, it was like, it was like being a kid again, except this is my, not my dad, but like people who are my age and a lot of them yelling. And so I remember that. I still remember uh, Cadet Joe Venoni. <laughs> he's apparently, he's like, you know, this is probably still mad at me. I'm not mad at him, but man, that guy would say, you are, you are terrible. Like who, you know, you can't just roll in like that. Where's your leadership? I can't believe you're in this program. Give me push-ups. And like, luckily back then I was really fit. I, I guess I'm still fit, but I was really, really fit. And I remember him yelling at me and I was like, dude, I can lap you like, stop, you know, of course I wouldn't say that out loud. I was going to say, like, yeah, did you like, say that? I know. Gangsta. Gangsta. <laughs> oh my god. I was going to say. Uh, so, but, but it's just that kind of thing where I had that, uh, I'll tell a quick story to you, Tierney and Michael, but they thought that I was, you know, right before the big camp. So it's like summer training right before your, your, your senior year and it must be junior year. Yeah. Anyway, they came to me and I remember the woman from the leadership team was said, Annalisa, we are going to, um, you know, we've been talking to, about you and the leadership team. And I was like, oh, they are, they're talking about me. That's so cool. You know? And she said, well, we're talking about you because we're worried about you. We think you're going to fail. And I was like, what? <laughs> they're like, that's going to look really bad for us. So you really need to get your stuff together because you are mm. not qu quality material anyway. The bottom 10% of this program, if they fail, they lose their scholarship and you will not be able to graduate. You have to pay it all back and all these terrible things happen. And I was like, oh my God, I don't want to fail. Like I've never failed at anything. This is going to be really bad. I went to camp. I was wearing, I mean, back then there were like short shorts were cool, right? Like, so that's all I had. And I walked in with like a tank top and short shorts and everyone was like, girls even had their hair all buzzed and wearing like long sleeve and pants. And I was like, oh, this is not good. And so got yelled at. It was like terrible. Anyway, because I was fit and, you know, I'm a leader and I did well. And right. I ended up graduating as like distinguished graduate, which is like, you know, kind of the valedictorians of the class and uh, came back and people were like, who, who, what? This must be a mistake. Like who, mm. it's not you. And I was like, yeah. Okay, right. <laughs> and they were like, well, do you want to, you know what? I mean, you really, you really surprised us. You really shocked us. Mm -hmm. Do you want to lead our detachment? Like be the number one person at our commander and I was like oh hell no you I just like, hate you all like <laughs> anyways but it would have been so funny right like this like totally terrible oh you didn't out. do it yeah no I didn't because I was like hell I don't want to spend more time with you yeah all. yeah understood understood That's yeah <laughs> so during these times did you have anybody mentoring you oh always yeah I just think to myself you know, it's interesting. I don't know about you, Michael and Tierney, but I have had different mentors when the few and far between uh, women, women leaders of color have been grateful for, but I would say consistently throughout my career, white men, um, not all white men are like this, but I've had white men really step in and help me. I remember back at Stanford, actually, you know what, let me, let me go to first a man who's Filipino 
he had this amazing career in marketing. I think he was a general manager of Asia in SC Johnson. So it's a marketing firm. It's a huge job in Asia. And he went on to work at the Stanford Business School and also the undergraduate committee. So he found me. I think I signed up to find a mentor and then he picked me. And I felt so lucky because I called him Tito and he soon passed away. So this is a tribute to him. But he reminded me about being Filipino. I think back then I was just trying to be white. I was just trying to be as white as I could. And he said, you know, being Filipino and is, is a beautiful thing. Let's go eat Filipino food. And, you know, have you thought about the different Filipino and Asian leaders out there? And I remember being like, I don't know why we're talking about this. <laughs> I was so out of it. And so internalized racism, like in my, but he helped me remember that. And he also talked about God back then. And also I wasn't listening. So always giving me great advice that I just didn't, I wasn't even able to fully comprehend because I was so, I call it immature, but I think about him all the time now about all the wise advice he gave me and what would he do? What would Tito do in this situation? It's something that I live my life by. That's so dope. No, for real. That's so dope. Yeah, that's dope. I actually can, I can, I can relate to what you're saying about white males being the ones who have given you a lot of the access and information things, mentorship, I should say. I've had similar experience. Um, we have to name that, I think, tyranny, because I am about equity, inclusion, diversity, belonging. I am. And often we think, well, we've got to find it within our tribe. We've got to find it here. And only brown people will really help. I think for me, it's realizing we can't type people that way, right? Oh, like no, I've had no. I've had Asian people and who kept me down, frankly. I know that they have access and they're like, mm, I'm not sure you're ready. I'm like, okay, right? Uh, and then I'll find a white person. And actually I, a white CEO told me, why wouldn't you apply for CEO jobs? Like you're yeah. absolutely ready. And I was like, what, me? And he's like, I do a lot of searches and you're absolutely perfect for lots of roles. I don't know why that would never ever be in your list of possibilities. And I was like, I'd never heard that. So we want, I want to make sure I say that because I have a ton of, not ton, but I have, I have a good amount of people who have helped me that have been white males. So let's make sure mm. we have that. Well, you know what? That is a good conversation uh, because along this journey, <laughs> this long journey, one of the things that I've learned is that you're you're basically looking for good humans. It's not even a, it's not a skin type. And that's what I had to learn. It's not about your race or racial group, not even your sex. You're looking for good humans because people will open a door for you that you would never expect. I mean, it will shock and awe you. You'd be like, you had the key to the door? Yep. Could be the janitor. It could be anybody. Because quick story, I'll never forget. When I first graduated out of Pace, I didn't have a clue where I was going, right? But I had a background in land use. That was my degree. I'm at the gym. And the guy that works behind the desk, we just struck up a conversation randomly. Old black man. And I told him what I'm getting a degree in. And he said, oh, well, you should apply for here, here, here. And he started naming real places. And I'm like, sir, how do you know that? He said, oh, my wife, my, my daughter's a developer. <laughs> I said, oh, mm. got it. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you should look into this. And just naming. So you never know where your angels are going to come from. So. so All right. Let's. Let's get this train back on the track because y'all about to have me here crying. All right. So uh, <laughs> so you told us how you selected Stanford. Somebody walked by with a t-shirt. A t -shirt. That's really how you selected Stanford? It really was. I was like, what? That's that? so real. <laughs> right. That's, That's, real. Real. That's, curiosity. <laughs> That's so real. That's so, so real. Uh, did you say what branch of the military you were in? Air Force. Air Force. Okay. Um. So as a captain in the Air Force, um, what was it like being a woman? Did you have any weird experiences, anything like that? A lot, a lot. Mm. And I realized that if I walked in looking like the way I do, I'm 5'2", and I look generally young, but back then I looked even younger, like people did not take me seriously. So mm. you got to be what you got to be. And by then, it's called assimilation. I learned that I needed to wear a mask 
if I needed to get the respect that I wanted with these people. So I constantly wear the masks. Uh, it depends on where the situation was. That that ROTC boot camp, I walked in after I realized I should not be wearing those shorts, also tie my hair back and look a little more like a guy. <laughs> I, I walked in, I was like, okay, I've got to drop F-bombs here. I've got to you know, go really tough and lead diamond push-ups to show that I was strong. And I've got to lead with a very no-nonsense style. And that got me respect. And people were like, whoa, you're really intense. And I thought better for them to see me as intense mm -hmm. than as someone who's soft and giggly and you know laughs a lot. That's, that's not going to get it here. So that started very early. The second thing I would say is I did some pretty interesting roles. One of the roles that I did when I was stationed in Guam was I was like a junior desk officer for China, Taiwan, the Philippines. And remember that I was young and remember that I actually, I didn't mention, but I was learning Chinese so that I could better communicate with the people there. Not obviously not fluently, but enough so that there was initial conversations and to build relationships. Oh, yeah. So imagine me at the 2023, maybe. And what they wanted me to do was go to meet high-level people and try to do deals. And that meant that when the head of Mongolia Air Force was in Hawaii, I would go meet them and I would build a relationship and be more sweet and listening and kind of like their daughter, I got like an initial brief, which was just like, try to build a relationship. And so I, you know, said, you know, sir, hi, how are you? It's great to see you again. Like, yeah, let's go out for drinks. And then they would bring like their entourage of females and we would be in lots of different alcohol and get to know them. I mean, it was like one in the morning, two in the morning. And I would say eventually, you know, Hey, sir, have you ever thought about, and I would bring the thing in that I was trying to get, which was like, I want to, would it be possible to use the Gobi desert for some of our activities? And you'd be like, what are you saying? And, you know, we're drinking <laughs> and I'd say, well, we're thinking about using it for bombing, you know, <laughs> and uh, like, no, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get my people on that. And I'd be like, great. You know, <laughs> uh, how <laughs> it happens. Weird. Yeah, I know. It's wow. Just, it's just conversation. Know, just conversation. Just it's conversation. business as usual. Business basically yes mm -hmm. and so that's how it's done i mean I, I was a good i mean i'm not that intimidating right and so i can say things and people can kind of let it roll off or, or give me information mm -hmm. that i can then share with people but it's kind of it's kind of weird right mm -hmm. i had i had an old mentor she said uh she said you can say anything you want to say if you say it with a smile <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's that's that so real though what I watched her say crazy stuff to people and they would laugh. So, oh, okay. This works. <laughs> I was going to ask too, did, um, was there ever like times when you were in uh, different places of leadership in the Air Force and like you were talking to other uh, cadets as well and like you, but you weren't as assertive as you would be in your role? Like, did you ever have like a that balance for real of like kind of being that giggly, bubbly person that you are also while also having those times where you was like strict? And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were definitely times when you have, for example, the officers, like young officers, and you mm -hmm. would spend time with them and there'd be like weird hookups. I mean, for sure. Right. You can be your yeah, more, it's college basically. Yeah. It's more college. It's like, <laughs> exactly. So I had that, but I don't know if you have this, maybe it's because I grew up in a military family, but I used to be really siloed, right. I'd have like a work persona and mm -hmm. then I'd have a personal persona and I would try to block them. And if we were work friends, like I couldn't really be friends with you as yeah, like mm -hmm. friends. And I yeah. think that's, some way smart but also it's really limiting one because it's hard to wear many masks and two it's those personal relationships at work that get you far so yeah. better to find where you can be your authentic self 
with people you actually respect. And that's actually the work that I'm trying to do now is can I Mm. find my tribe and do work with my tribe instead of saying, I've got to do exactly this work, even if it's by myself. I think it's the Mm -hmm. other way now where I'm like, where do I find people I respect and like, and let's go do some work together. I love that. I love that. So what are some things that motivate you? Because it seems like you're extremely self-motivated, but are there any exterior things that motivate you or what motivates you? Right now or just in general in my life? In general. general. I mean, for me, growth really motivates me. Hmm. Contribution really motivates me. Connection really motivates me. I used to be so oriented toward, I have to make a difference. I have to make a difference. And I think that's powerful and it can be too much for me personally. This whole martyrdom, sacrifice myself for the benefit of everybody. I honestly led that way in so many years. And I think that was a mistake. If we're doing work for young people, we need a model for them. Self-love, self-care, self-worth, relaxation, finding freedom, saying no. And that means that I'm not going to be all things to all people and I'm not going to be liked and that's okay, which is hard because if you think about my growing up, being liked by my dad, being able to read his emotions is what kept me Mm -hmm. (laughs) safe-ish. And I am learning now that I am safe and I can be authentic and I am going to be okay. And so I'm trying to model that for people and like be disliked. It's amazing how even with this work, there are people that don't like it. They don't like me and I've got to be okay with that. So that's, that's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's healthy. And, but still for me, that's, that's not easy. Yeah. 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 You know, I always say if you have too many friends, that means you have no friends. And if you have as a leader, if everyone likes you, then you're not a leader. For sure. Cause you're going to make the unpopular opinion, opinion. I mean, unpopular decisions. Mm-hmm. But and let's make sure we're clear that for me anyway, it's not easy, right? Like for a woman, no, for sure. why, I mean, we're talking about the book later, but we have to be liked to get things mm-hmm. done. But if you're too liked, you're not making the hard decisions. So if mm-hmm. I make the hard decisions, you don't like me because it's a hard decision and I'm making mm-hmm. it. And then if I make the decision that everybody wants, then everybody, you know, then, oh, that's, that's easy. Then they're like, you're not, you don't have a backbone. So like, it's, yeah. it's hard to win, right? You're, it's it's you're a balance. To, yeah. Exactly. It's a strange balance, but I, I feel you. I feel you. And it's, it's, it's very complex and it's complex for women because you can get labeled if you're too boisterous, if you're too outspoken, if you're too, oh, she's a B-I-T-C-H, blah, blah, blah. But, um, well, you know, I have a law enforcement background. And so same lady said, you'd rather be known as a bee than a punk. Mm. <laughs> That's so real. Same lady. Because, she so was, because, you know, the circumstances were different because our life was on the line. So she was like, you would re- much rather be known as a bee than a punk. Mm. I said, okay. So I feel you. It is a, that is a hard dynamic to balance. So um, I'm going to come back to that. So what led you during your journey? What um, what led you to wanting to help people of color in personal development, specifically women? Like, what was the triggering thing to make you say, okay, this is what I also want to do now? I think it's being alone by myself, feeling by myself in the top seat and realizing there was so much that I didn't know. I went to business school. I have sought out mentors. I have read a lot of books. I've gone to a lot of conferences. I felt like I should have the information, right? About how to thrive in this role. Mm. And yet I was surprised at how there were these double binds. There were these issues that I felt like I was only going through. And what I realized was that it's more universal than I thought. And had I known I would be, I would have been a different leader. I would have made some different choices and I would have probably rose faster actually. So that's the reason that 
I turned to executive coaching, focused on women leaders of color, because we need each other. We need some of this knowledge and not just knowledge and research, but actually stories about other women of color who have not just survived, but thrived at these top roles and then mm-hmm. pathways for ourselves, because we keep talking about making a difference, right? Like I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. But t- to get that impact faster and even more impactful, we need to know the codes, right? We need to know this practical advice. We need to know we're not alone. So let's just get it right. Let's just get it so we can move faster together and also take care of ourselves and each other. Mm. Is that why it's so important for you to write this book too? Just because of that universal feeling of like, oh yeah, I feel alone, but also there's so many others that feel alone as well. Absolutely. I, I, I think I share this with you all, but we want to lift up stories and it's right. not just like, oh, look at me, look at all this research. Actually it's look at us and okay. Yeah, let's do this. Like we're all a beautiful, right? I think angels for each other, but can we see that and know that we're not alone? Okay, so that leads us right on into the the myths of success, a woman woman of color's guide to leadership. Tell us about your book. So the book is a collection of myths, things that I personally believed and many women leaders of color have also believed that actually are not true. Mm -hmm. And if we can learn these myths and see that there's not just research, but actual stories of top women leaders of color who have faced these myths, overcome them, then I think this would be huge for the movement. This would be huge for everybody. So that's why I wrote the book, a little bit about it. But my hope from writing this book is that we can see that there's things we learned, there's things that have been conditioned within us from our parents, from society, from school, and it's time to unlearn and it's time to release and it's time to see a new possibility. And it's also important that we know that the movement needs our collective stories and our collective gifts to be able to, I think, create the world we want. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm buying the book. You got me. You sold me. I feel like I need it. <laughs> um, so an accompaniment with, you know what? What was the process like of you writing a book? How long did it take you? So I have a podcast like you all. It's called Women of Color Rise. And the reason I mention it is because this started because I wanted to uplift stories. And what I realized is there's so many themes mm-hmm. across the women can we codify it? Because I'm, I'm remember I'm like a systems mm. person. When you see a need, try to fill it and then try to do it at a scale where others can learn from it. So the book to me is a way of taking so many of the beautiful lessons we've learned from these women and trying to make it accessible in a way where we can actually walk through the 10 myths and then say to ourselves, okay, which ones apply to us? How can I take action on it? And even look at the people who've been featured and say, can I reach out to them? Can I learn from them? You know, can I ask for help? So that's been the process of taking the podcast, interviewing fabulous women, finding the myths, stories, and then also the connection to each other. So that's what I'm, it's really fun, I think at this point, because then I get to lift them back up to say, look at this amazing woman who's featured, look at the gifts that they can bring to share with everybody. And say the name of your part again. Women of Color Rise podcast. Yeah, make sure y'all go check that out. Make sure y'all go follow her, like her on everything. Listen to it, download it, do that. Y'all support. Y'all rise. Um, rise, all right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you also have become a coach. Tell me about that. Why was that important to you? I think for the same reason that I wanted to write the book. It's because mm-hmm. I want to serve people who I really... One, I'm passionate about serving, but two, I feel like so much resonance. There is something about having shared challenges and being able to say, you are absolutely valid in your experience. And as much as maybe others might gaslight you or you feel like you're alone, I want to make sure I affirm you and 
at the same time, know we can make a conscious choice here. We don't have to believe all the things that we've believed in the past. We can create something new. So it comes from resonance. It comes from passion and collaboration to look forward together. And also I think it comes from a need. I don't see a lot of us yet at the top roles. And so if I can be part of that movement, it would be an honor. Mm. Do you mind me talking about how I met you? Yes, please. Oh, okay. So, so Annalisa is my coach, actually. She's my executive coach. And um, I was, my mentor actually referred me to her. And, you know, it, it was good energy and good vibes ever since I first met her. Um, and she asked a very unique question when we met. She was like, do you mind if we talk about you know, God in this space, because she doesn't do that with everybody that's, you know, and I was like, of course, God's welcome in any space. I'm, you know, always welcome in here. And um, as soon as she said that, it was like the relief came over me. And it's like, okay, this is a good space to be in. Because if you can't see my hat, it says, be still and know. Oh. Those who know, know. Okay. So, <laughs> so yeah, man. But uh, she's amazing. She's amazing at what she does. And she really makes you think. She makes you think. So great coach. Yeah, uh, all I want to say so far. But um, so how do you balance life? I mean, I you was got so many. Ask. <laughs> you got so much like, going on, like, like coaching, writing. I mean, do you still serve as a CEO for an organization, or like, thankfully, I have left that role. <laughs> okay, word. Jesus. So how do you balance <laughs> it all? Because you're also a mom, right? Right. So. I think it's about intention. So Michael and Tierney, if we were working together, I'd say, what is it that we want? And let's get really, really clear. Because if you said to me, well, I want to get really in shape, then we would want our life to reflect that. I want to feel, have a connection to God, then we would build a life, right? That reflects that. So it's getting clear on for me, what do I want? And for me, my values, and we mentioned them earlier, are about love and connection and contribution, joy, being conscious, having a having this way of being that allows also ease. And, and so when I say that out loud, you can design a life that brings that forward. To me, structure provides that. I was raised a military kid. I would also thrive in, in structure. And so how do you set up your routine and routine with a good, happy face, right? A routine that allows for for me, I mean, I'll just give you a, a normal day. I, I meditate, I run, and I do a visualization, a journaling practice. And that's like immediate off the bat. That is allowed because I have an agreement with my husband that he'll handle all morning routine. So for both kids, he does everything, pack their food, get them out the door. I will maybe do a little bit, but not really just to say, you know, bye for the day. But he handles that. And then I set up my, my work days as much as possible where meetings are on specific days and then work times on other days. And I also include time for connection. So I find, you know, ways that I can support people I care about and connect with people I care about, work on things I care about. And then I end the day again with spending time with my family and then also spending time with my husband. Also including time for things like skiing or other types of travel. So all those things are baked in so that I just follow the routine. So in the morning, for example, I don't have to think to myself, should I work out or not? Should I meditate or not? Should I, you know, what's the project I care about? It's all kind of been decided. So that's the thing where I want to make sure we're clear that, you know, when I work with people, what is it you want? And then how can we go get it? If it's not there, how can we design our life so that it allows for God, the universe to flow through and make it happen? So it's, it's in, by intention and design. Hey, for all the people out there who don't like routine, I feel like that was a great way to tackle creating a routine. For sure. So, yeah, because I'm definitely one of those people. I'm, I'm so against having a routine. I love free flow, but I know when it comes down to getting things done. <laughs> It actually being efficient, um, yeah, then that routine is needed. So thank you for that, for sure. Definitely needed that. Make it to people's spirit today, Lord. Okay. Oh, yes, you better get your routine right. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what okay. is something that um, you think people will be surprised to know about you? 
Tierney, you brought this in, but God is something that I have not talked about and actually have resisted for a while. This is not a new thing because I would say that I've always been spiritual, but I've resisted using the word God. And I would say that's because I, I was really entrenched in the definition of God from when I was growing up. Um, it's also like, I love my, my parents and my dad, but the way that we had God in our lives back then was not the kind of God that was, uh, to me, it was more about shame and guilt and being bad. And with the centering of that, I'm good and I'm whole, I'm enough. I, I'm loved. I think that's the kind of God that is actually who is in my world, in our world. And when I think of that presence, that fills me with a lot of safety and hope. So I think that would be something that would people would be surprised about is how much I really want that connection with God. Mm. And it's it's coming. It's coming. Man, that's mm. that's so I, I just resonated with that so much. Yeah, man, it's so relatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, we gotta make sure we bring God into every space if we want it to be a safe space, right? Yeah. If we want it to be a safe space, we gotta let him come in and do security. All right, they gotta move. They gotta go. Nope, not yeah. that. <laughs> uh-uh. That's that person wrong. Mm-hmm. So um man, I'm so full off this conversation. I'm okay. I'm so like, oh my goodness. I hope everybody's enjoying as much as I am. Um, outside of your career, what are your interests? Outside of my career, I love to have experiences. I don't want to say travel because people often think, oh, you know, you just travel and it's relaxing and yet can be relaxing. But Mm. to me, experiences are ways to get us out of our everyday and to Mm. open our minds. So with this type of experience, it could look like many things. And for me, it's having that vision, a shared experience with people I care about. For example, with the kids, I love learning languages with them. And so how can I inspire them to be really passionate about other cultures and learning languages it's to go together mm-hmm. we went to Nicaragua a few months ago and lived at a homestay with dirt floors cold showers from a bucket uh, no we had a toilet that didn't flush so how can we better understand other ways of living and appreciate what we have and know that like joy doesn't come from things and that we're really fortunate with all we have so it's like, you can tell them that, right? As a seven, 11 year old, they're mm-hmm. like, what? No, I still want that thing, right? And you're like, right. you don't need that thing though. And many exactly. people don't. We have closets full of stuff. Other people have like one t-shirt that maybe they, is a hand-me-down. So those are the types of experiences I love. I also love being in nature and being able to um, think God's in nature. And it helps remind us that we're not like stuck inside, so we do as a family, we, we ski together, we rock climb together, um, hike together. And then we also do like canoe trips out in the back country. And we try to like, we're not, try not to be fancy about it, right? Like you don't have to spend a lot to travel. You can go into the back country with a lot of food in a canoe and get intense and be out there in nature uh, and sometimes get your tent ransacked by a raccoons, <laughs> survive. Uh-huh. Um, and I'd say the last thing that I love to do is really practice self-care, um, and be in quiet and be still and know, I think that's so powerful. I love that you have that tyranny as you're wearing that today. How can we bring that as by design to sit and not actually not be frantic chasing and come back to ourselves? So that's also what I like to do. Mm-hmm. So what if you're, hmm, for a person that wants to follow in your footsteps, what type of advice would you give them? Tierney, having worked with me, 
I would actually hold the mirror back to you and say, you be you, you Mm -hmm. come back to you because the brilliance is you. And are you clear on that? Let's pull that out. And if I can be of assistance to that, you already are the light. So there's no need to follow me. I will only support you on your journey. Okay, she's trying to make me cry right now. She nah, get, I'm sitting here, I'm she's like, not going to get it out of me. Hey, yo. Not, not today. Not, no, <laughs> I rebuke it. All right. <laughs> nah, yeah. but, it's, but it's so real, though. It is. You, you know, in one, of our, in one of our sessions, she said something like that. Or maybe I made this up, but either way, it sounds good. Um, She said that, basically what she just said, the things that you are that you are seeking are already in you. Like if you had the vision to be something, you already have the tools. There's no looking for the tools. You you have them inside. You just have to work with what you got. You know, like, hmm, that's real. That is real. And oftentimes we think that we're something, it's something outside of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Annalisa, you have definitely filled our cup today. So the last question. What is your personal motto? My personal motto right now is leap and the net will appear. <laughs> I had to throw this computer. The way that I needed to hear that, it was not prepared to hear that on today. No. It's crazy. Leap and the net will appear. Man, I I can't handle this interview. Question though, can I ask why that's your motto? Good question. Because the net's held by God. And we think we're boxed in and we think we're so small and we think all and there's all this fear, but actually we're always held. And it's the only thing we gotta do is step into it. It's essentially faith. Yeah. I heard a very good, and you know, I ain't even gonna step on that. I'm just gonna let that breathe. You know what I'm saying? Like, I ain't gonna step on that. That's mm, leaping and net will appear. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And Lisa, please give everybody your socials and how they can contact you. So you can. Follow me on Instagram, Annalisa Wolf, A-N-A-L-I-Z-A, Wolf, W-O-L-F. You can also do that same thing on Facebook. I have a podcast. Thanks, Michael and Tyranny, for allowing me to share it, Women of Color Rise. And I have a website, Annalisa Wolf. And I hope that you can check out the book. And it's I'm trying to hold the, down the price. I mean, Amazon just takes everything. So I'm not making any money, but it's on it's $2.99 on Kindle, uh, Myths of Success, A Woman of Color's Guide to Leadership. But I'm so grateful to be on here. If I can be of service in any way, please reach out. And with that being said, thank you so much for coming on. Yes. I'm T Hardaway. And I'm Michael Basil. And this is the Did It for the Hood Podcast. Indeed.